Welcome to this month's The Way We Work podcast, where we explore the changing ways of work and the impact on employees. Today, Humanize CEO Ben Weber sits down with Stella Lupashore to discuss the particular challenges faced by women, especially older women, as they enter or re-enter the workplace. Stella is the founder of Reframe Work, a consultancy focused on helping clients develop inclusive workplaces through the use of technology and human-centered design. She is also the founder of Amazing Community, which is a nonprofit organization focused on expanding the horizon of work for women and empowering their success. Along with that, she's the program director for SWP and TM councils at the conference board, which helps Fortune 500 companies build new global workforce strategies. Really interested to have you on, um, not just because you're, of your experience, but really because of you know what you're working on today. Um, I think just how relevant it is for the for the workplace in general, right? And I think that it's now at least fairly widely acknowledged that. Um, women and, and older women in particular are having, uh, have had over time a lot of difficulty, first of all, joining the workforce. Um, but then, you know, oftentimes they're, uh, for various reasons, forced to rejoin the workforce, right? And I, I think understanding, uh, especially, you know, even for me from, you know, really the outside of that, that group, obviously, you know, understanding what those difficulties are. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if you can, can talk about what you've, uh, at least what you've been, been looking into. Absolutely. And I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you so much for giving the opportunity to speak about this issue, because it's one of those um, under uh, under um, stated and underappreciated. And it really doesn't dawn on you that is a problem until it actually happens or potentially you see it coming. And uh, you're absolutely right. I think for women, it's difficult to um, to step back into the workforce and interestingly they make all the right choices right women tend to have children and tend to step more frequently into uh, caretaking responsibility either for ailing parents or partner Um, and most likely the not will step out of the workforce for a period of time during this time they will um, continue to be active in their community and play roles that uh, some of the organization may really benefit, like project management, like right, right, uh, running a fundraiser. But many times they find it difficult to translate it into skills that are described in a way that the organization will say, ah, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So it's the language that we use, number one. Number two, I think the um, issue, if you think how we hire, right, how we and organizations look for that perfect candidate. Most likely a woman with a career gap uh, with an outdated probably business network with an outdated skill set, with a resume that doesn't look like a, a traditional ideal candidate will not be picked up by, by the algorithms that many times we, we write for um, sifting through those resumes or even for the recruiter to make sure that they check all the boxes women themselves will also self-select out because they will say, I don't feel that I have 100% of the job requirements and therefore I'm not even going to apply. And let's face it, who worked in a job that matches the job description 100% ever? <laughs> and um, I, I think we, we make all the right choices and the right decisions, but at the, at the time when we're ready to re-enter the workforce, there are a lot of things that are getting in the way and barriers, self-inflicted or not. And um, 
the, the statistics that made me really sit straight uh, and, and start on this journey was that half of the long-term unemployment in the U.S. is women between 55 and 65. And, you know, first of all, it's like, why is that particular segment? And the more you start thinking, it's it not making sense, right? That you're not old enough to retire or be considered for um, as a retiree for certain uh, qualified jobs and you're not young anymore to be considered as anywhere near top potential or uh, you know somebody who is has a long tenure I've you you wouldn't believe some of the stories that I've heard some of the women say "Um, I'm really qualified I have all the credentials I have education and PhDs etc but and I come, you know, one of the last two in the interviews, and then they're telling me, we want somebody who has another 10 years in, in them. Uh, and, which, And I guess, that's, you know, it, it, you, you've touched on, on so much here, and I apologize for interrupting a little bit, but I, I think that particular point just doesn't make sense to me, especially now, right? Yes. So again, you could maybe make, have made the argument 30 years ago, I, you know, you're going to be in one company for your whole career, I really want you to have a, you know, a longer tenure here. Again, it's still discriminatory, but you could at least plausibly make that argument. Yeah. And today, I mean, the average tenure at companies is so much less than that. And so, you know, someone having, you know, 10 years, five years, you know, left in their career, that's still more than enough for, for a tour of duty to company. Um, and, you know, and even if it's shorter than that, the effect that you, you know, impact other people. I mean, have you seen have those attitudes just been fairly constant? Do you see them changing at all? I think in light of the labor shortages, companies will have to adapt. I think the challenge that we, we do to ourselves as organizations is um, we are so reluctant to change the existing processes, the way we hire, the way we define job descriptions, the way we interview people, the way we... Um, you know, exclude certain candidates for no reason. And let's face it, when we look at the individual, we usually use education and experience as a proxy for the knowledge. So we're looking at the past as an evidence for them and their ability to perform, as opposed to saying, what are really the capabilities that will be critical going forward? What are the values and the, um, the you know, what women bring to the table that we can take advantage because there are certain skills, you know, let's face it, the half-life of of skills is shrinking too very quickly. So you need to assume that you will be able to teach them a lot of things, but they will bring that, um, you know, their their responsibility, their uh, maturity, their collaboration and ability to bring different conflicting point of views together. So there are certain things that really, really, are important in the workplace that are not being described in job descriptions and therefore you're not hiring based on that. So I think that's, that's yeah. one thing that will have to change over time. Um, they, but it will take a big you know, transition and who knows, maybe the organizations that figure it out and stop uh, uh, d- demanding somebody to have an MBA just, just because that's been the trend for the past five years is necessary. And it's it. And it's interesting as you talk about these things because, you know, you were bringing up earlier, you know, algorithms that companies use maybe to screen through resumes or even to your point, recruiters who are using their own internal human algorithms to screen these things and say, you know, I want more candidates that look like person X who I knew was successful in this role. 
right? Exactly. And and I think it's this fundamental just lack of appreciation around even how like statistics works and how of course bias works, yeah. right? If you had one candidate who was successful in this role, that that's an N of one. That's not even, a, you know, not a sample. And then especially if you have a bias sample over time, just yeah. continue to play into that um, is, is not going to be effective. And from that perspective, I guess the question comes, you know, are, can technology tools help with this? Are, you know, what are the things that need to happen uh, for, for tools to be um, really an agent of change in this area? Uh, there are several aspects to technology, and I think really technology has a big opportunity and role to play here. One is, um, and, and this is something that HR really needs to step up into and, and build some of the skills and understanding. Number one, how do you design that algorithm? Um, many times, you know, HR is being bombarded with offers from different technologies and saying, we have AI solution that will solve your you know, world hunger and everything else. That's right. Um, and it, it is difficult for them to look at this as a, you know, something as a block back black box. You push the data through it and then at the end comes something really magical and you, you can pick the perfect candidate as opposed to saying, I want to see how some of these decisions are made and I want to have the opportunity to tweak certain decision criteria. Um, maybe limit the time and the data span that you load, because whatever was success 10 years ago is not going to represent the world 10 years from now. You really need to hire for the future, not for the past success uh, description. Um, you can use technology to um, eliminate certain, or at least highlight words that are inducing bias. Yeah. Uh, because when you describe somebody who needs to be assertive and uh, outspoken, and there are certain keywords that will most likely uh, draw men as opposed to women to certain jobs. So being really mindful of how you even write those job descriptions. Um, the channels through which you advertise. Uh, if you are putting your campaign and marketing campaign for your jobs on Snapchat, guess what? Your by, by default will uh, eliminate a big slice of the, of the population. Um, so there are a lot of nuances throughout the whole process of finding uh, just women that technology can address and you need to have the skill to do it correctly. The other part of it is how do you then make decision to um, bring this, these individuals to onboard and upskill yeah. them and uh, make sure they feel included. And I think at the end of the day, that's where inclusive mindset, it's important. And that comes yet again, not only in terms of the culture that you have, but technology itself. Yeah. Our technology is designed to be accessible because let's face it, as you get older, certain physical abilities go away. You don't hear as well, you don't see as well. And not to say that it doesn't happen to younger pe people, but it's more frequently co-occurring in aging. Um, is the color scheme in your office uh, uh, really attractive and make people feel comfortable or it's screaming and you feel that you're, you're really, um, you know, overwhelmed is the noise level in your office uh, too high because it, as you get older, also your hearing ability uh, diminishes and you cannot dis, um, discern certain sounds. Um, so there's, there's a lot of little, very small tweaks that you can make in the workplace, both physical and digital. And I think through the technology you can definitely make it uh, a lot more accessible and, and easy to navigate. You just need to put an effort to it. That's a really important point because I do think there is rightly so a lot of focus being put on 
the pipeline into the company, bring more people in and things like that. And that's obviously important, but there's the second step, which is now I have people in the door. I need them to be successful. I need, I want them to also have a good work experience. And then beyond that, they'll serve as a model internally about now when I start to think about people who are successful in this role, it's not, I don't think of some old white guy or something like that. It's much, you know, much broader. Um, and you build, you build that up as well. And that those technologies really across that whole employment process, if applied correctly, can have a really big impact. Yeah. I think one of the challenges that, that, that I've seen, and I'm curious on your take on it, is a lot of companies will at least say they care about this. When it comes to implementing a lot of these things you're talking about, and I don't just mean technology, I mean all these other things that you're talking about, you know, changing lighting levels. I'm very conscious now that we're talking over video chat um, on Zoom, but, you know, is those technologies as well. And then, and, and the importance of, if you don't have those people in your organization today, you might not be aware of these things. And this is also why, you know, when we look at a lot of um, the technologies we use in business today or, or processes, they come from companies that are, you know, overwhelmingly dominated by white men in particular, right? And that means that really there's huge blind spots about other segments of the population. And I, I think it's something where, you know, especially if you look at, you know, older women in particular, really... Um, have been underrepresented in the um, in the technology workforce, so there is even a paucity of tools to to assess uh, to uh, to really improve that. Mm-hmm. Have you seen for companies that you feel like have done it right? How have they have they started that, and how have they uh, continued that? Um, it is a journey for sure, and I think a lot of companies start not with you know will focus on particular segment it's more about creating an inclusive workplace where everybody can thrive and in some cases it's it's a great business um makes business sense because if you create your products that are more accessible to not or compelling or appealing to not just younger generation everybody else can benefit out of it and also can increase your um you know distribution channels and you can have a whole new segment of of buyers of your offerings and then they talk to their friends and let's face it also the older generation is the one who has the most disposable income in history so it's 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 silly not to include them and not not cater to them um and i think companies that are really uh figuring this out is uh are really looking at it from design perspective and um creating it for everyone. And sometimes it's internal design decisions. Sometimes it's external, uh, externally focused. Um, one example I want to give is, and, and a shout out to my blind spot. So it's a company that was started by a gentleman who went, uh, uh, his name is Albert Rizzo. And he went blind about 13 years ago and he transformed his challenge into a uh, into an ability. So he is now hiring a lot of disabled individuals to test technology for accessibility, which makes absolutely total sense. So they worked with Intuit to um, make the QuickBooks accessible. Now think about the ripple effect of that type of transformation of tool, right? Now you give the ability of people with um, visual uh, limitations 
to be able to track their, their books and be able to start the business. So it opens up a whole new set of opportunities. And it's also great for Intuit because now they have a lot more customers to, to do it. And it's a great story. Um, but it took somebody externally to approach them to say, hey, you, you have to change this because it makes sense. And that's, I think that's one of the challenges is that it took someone externally to help push them. At the same time, someone externally by themselves can't force an organization to do anything. Correct. And I, I think with a lot of these issues, um, or if you talk about um, just inclusion in general, I, I feel like there's oftentimes you know, far too much emphasis put on people in those groups. So whether it's older women, whether it's disabled people, yeah. to lead those efforts internally when they're most likely not even uh, in positions of power you know, really in the organization to actually make those changes. And so you really do need existing leadership to, to buy in, right? In the case of Intuit, you know, saying we're going to push you through QuickBooks um, or, or you're not, you know, maybe you have, you know, some feel good meetings, but you're not really going to have any impact on the actual organization or, or what you produce. Yeah. And I think the, the, the other problem that organizations are not really realizing the opportunity in is, um, bringing because you don't need necessarily maybe to hire even these people but just have some people who are part of your design process that can be representative of of certain segments and uh i, I think the the aging population the reason they are so great about it is in addition to just age itself and you also have other uh limitations physical and, and uh, in terms of how you you consume information. So they have perfect testing ground for you to say, if we can design for them, it can work for everyone. Um, the other part is making products that are, <laughs> that are nice because many times we design things for older people in the boring, uh, um, you know, color scheme in the ugliest uh, format. Why? <laughs> I think, the funny thing is aging is something that happens to all of us. It's a unifying experience. We're all going to get old um, unless you die young. Well, um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we all, hopefully, yes. it's better than the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we make decisions as if it's never going to happen to us, uh, which is, is fascinating, um, but it's a mindset shift and I think it's going to take time. And, uh, and, and a lot of role models, and you're absolutely right, I think once you start bringing women and allow them to get to the leadership levels, they will set the right type of policies and they will make sure that they um, create opportunities for women to gain the flexibility they need because they've been in their shoes and they know what it's like to you know, have both a family and a career and then try to, to, to learn a new skill and move up the, the ladder in an environment where it's not really friendly to to, uh, to you. So um, I love the work that Paradigm for Parity does in terms of this, uh, because they work mm -hmm. with organizations to set certain goals yeah. to make sure that women have opportunities, because that will create a, a, a different dynamics and, and hopefully will change over time the environment. It, and those and companies like Paradigm and others are doing such great work and uh, obviously are going to be a key force in, in moving this forward. And I've always... I've always wondered about what gets organizations to finally make that decision because and I think you alluded to this earlier, there is so much research that, that shows that if you have 
you know, a more diverse workforce in general, but then even specifically, you have more women on boards, more women in leadership positions. The company performs better. And that's just, it's, it's not a question, right? There is decades of research on this. And so that's known. And, you know, is it that for some reason people in management don't know that or, you know, maybe just don't believe it, which doesn't really make sense. It's not really a defense or, you know, or is it, um, yeah, I mean, or is it something else? Is there, um, is it that, I mean, because for my money, right, so we can make them, we can make the economic argument, right? But I think the compelling argument is is a moral one, right? Is that if we believe, I mean, again, especially throughout, you know, most industries, but but tech in particular, there's a probably misguided belief in, in meritocracy, right? mostly because of all the biases built into it. But if we say, okay, if that was a pure concept and we believe that, then it shouldn't matter what you look like. It shouldn't matter. All, all these demographic variables are essentially divorced from what your actual abilities are and what you can do and what you can contribute. And if that's what we want to get to, then it really should be an, a moral imperative, more than an economic imperative to do this. But it, it seems, so do you feel like, is it, I wonder if on the moral end, that's actually what's pushing people forward faster because the economic stuff has been known for a while or, or is it just really depend on the, uh, the organization? It's a tough one. And I've been thinking a lot about it. Like what would tip the, the balance to, to the right place? And I think there are multiple components to it. One is just the norms um, and most likely, you know, certain leaders, uh, they're just a few years away from retirement. They're not going to make significant changes. Um, like they'll, they'll wait for the next leader to take on that uh, challenge. Another one is the reward structure. And, you know, at the end of the day, people are going to do what they were they rewarded for or punished for. So I think when it comes to opportunities here to solve some of this is probably building in some accountability. Um, and that comes to measurement structure, right? If you're going to, elevate to the board level the discussion about your workforce composition and diversity and, uh, um, you know, demand a, a better pay equity and, and balance in your uh, hiring pipeline, et cetera. The leaders will have to fall in line, uh, especially if uh, some of the monetary rewards are tied to that. Um, sometimes it'll take an embarrassment and public uh, exposure like yeah. UK does it, right? You have to now publicly disclose a lot of this information. So you kind of have no choice. <laughs> and many times I think the workforce itself is going to push you out. There is an interesting shift now. Uh, I think people are losing faith in um, the ability of the governmental institutions or faith-based organizations to make a change and they're turning now to their companies to influence some of these bigger societal issues. Um, case in point was um, the Google walkout. So I think it will take multiple uh, efforts from different sites to influence that change. And then at the end of the day, it'll take a leader who will say no more. Um, and I think we all in our spheres and our roles that different that we play have the opportunity to take that stand too and say no more. I'm going to do what's right. Um, and I think that that also illustrates an important point and really, you know, one of the last things for us to end on. For from my perspective, it's actually easy to talk to leadership 
asking companies about why this would be important or to give them steps about what they can do because they are in positions of power to actually implement these, these things. Yeah. Now, maybe they're not incentivized to do it, to your point, but you can at least say, here's roughly what you should do. From the perspective of an individual, though, you know, if you have you know, a woman entering the workforce, you have someone, uh, you know, an older woman who, who wants to re-enter the workforce or, or maybe change careers, how, how would, what are the things they can do um, to make not just their, their job search and, and hopefully, you know, uh, placement somewhere, but then also their actual employment experience uh, that much better? It's also an excellent point because a lot of it, it's a mindset. And I think as you get older and progress through life and you have good and bad experiences, it shapes who you are and things you're going to accept and not accept, um, the things that you want or not want from the workplace. And um, I think the, the flexibility and the nimbleness, um, it's, it's important. You really have to say this is not how the world I grew up in and it's not going to come back ever. <laughs> how can I make the most out of what I have and highlight really the, the strengths I have and transfer to this new space? I think many times women feel that they need to reinvent themselves completely, which becomes really overwhelming as opposed to saying, I actually am a really great project manager and uh, I can just learn a little bit more about how to build a chatbot and therefore move from an ERP implementation project manager to a chatbot development project manager. So tap into the strengths you bring to the table and just expand the, the, the things you need at the periphery. And you don't have to become an expert in analytics. You don't have to be a data scientist. I think there are so many opportunities for uh, women to bring what they've learned and done before to these new areas and also influence uh, how it's being designed and how it's being implemented with their experience now and knowledge of, of what they can do and what they want to see in the world. Um, and, and the other thing that I at least found really helpful for me is talk to Talk to kids. Um, I look at my kids as my teachers. They are really the ones who share <laughs> all these new little tricks and little tips on how to use technology and um, you know how how to speak. What is the language and how it's evolving and and being where they are because it's it's really giving you a lot of new insights. Of you know, it's not that complicated. It's not that. <laughs> Um, you know, overwhelming. And then the last thing that I uh, strongly encourage, many times um, women feel that they don't understand technology or they cannot use it. It is because of them and their skill. No, it is because it was designed in a crappy way. So just step in and demand a better design that works for you too. And don't feel too, uh, you know, intimidated to escalate and say, this is not working. You better fix this. <laughs> Well, that's, and that's a great point to end on. And one of the things I'm getting from this is that I should, I should look for you on, uh, I think, TikTok. And I'm sure you're streaming things <laughs> as well. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that um, as well. But, but listen, so I really enjoyed the conversation. And, uh, and thanks for, uh, for, ha for having the conversation with me. Thank you so much for shedding the light on this. This is absolutely great. It's been my pleasure. Great. Good. Awesome. Thanks, awesome. All right, Stella. All right. Thanks, guys, for letting us listen in on that. That was great. And of course, a special thank you to Stella Lupisher for joining us today for our discussion.
As always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to us directly at info at humanize.com. And thank you for joining us for this month's episode. Be sure to tune in next month as we continue our exploration of the impact of technology on the way we work.